is Off the Record, the weekly KOTO public affairs show that offers you, the listener, an opportunity to hear in-depth conversations on community topics and issues that matter. As always, you are encouraged to join the conversation by calling 728-4333. Now here's your host. Good evening, Kodo listeners. Uh, we are talking all things mountain film tonight. Uh, it's nearly upon us. Uh, this coming up Memorial Day, so in anticipation of the festival, the 44th festival, we'll talk with some of the filmmakers and uh, give us a call to join the conversation at 970-728-4333 if you've got a question or a comment or a favorite mountain film memory. All right, so in a moment, we're going to get some filmmakers on air, but let's start uh, with the good... um, Well, I have people, because I thought there might be a few of them, but actually, we only have one representative from Mountain Film locally in studio with us, um, and that is Suzanne Barraza, the festival director. Um, How many years have you been doing that, Suzanne? This is my sixth year. I'm the festival director, and Gavin, it is the 45th festival it's the 45th it's a bit of a milestone oh, okay that's right and more of a that's milestone right. than the 44th yeah um and did i get your last name right Barraza? so perfect okay perfect and um suzanne is also has been a filmmaker in the past and perhaps in the future too latest project was massacre river and uh many uh listeners perhaps know Eurovan drive-in uh which chronicled uh life in the west end and uh yeah so will you just um suzanne give us a little bit of kind of an intro to a theme a particular word uh something that stands out from programming the festival this year and a little window into your job as festival director um, before we welcome our first filmmakers i think if i had a word I would just have to say eclectic. I'm going to like that word today. Yeah, the programming is pretty eclectic. Um, Mountain film used to be purely a climbing and outdoor film festival. In its wee years, it started in 1979. And over time, it has really grown to include environmental film, sustainability, human rights, um, adventure, social justice, kind of all tied together with this common theme of indomitable spirit. So the, the calls coming in tonight that we're going to talk to four different film teams, they really run the gamut of the kind of films you're going to get to see at Mountain Film this year. All right, cool. Well, we can't wait for that. Um, we have our first filmmakers on the line. They are uh, with Patrol. That's right. Which is a documentary that's going to be premiering um, during the festival. Brad Allgood and Camilo DeCastro are both joining us um, this evening. And Suzanne, can you give us a little intro of uh, their movie? Well, we're super excited that we'll be having the world premiere of this film, as you mentioned. Brad has had other films at the festival, and this film is an incredible a really stark um, look at a nature preserve in Nicaragua 
and um, and what happens when people start to encroach on that territory. So I can't wait for Brad and Camilo, who are the directors of the film, to chat with us a bit about it. Um, Brad and Camilo, are you there? Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, we welcome, welcome to Kodo. So we hear you've been to Telluride before or had a film with Mountain Film before. I'm guessing this is your first time on Kodo? This is my first time on Kodo. This is Brad speaking. Uh, this is my third time attending Mountain Film. My first year was in 2015 with Landfill Harmonic, and then I had another short film that premiered there last year, Danny's Twins. This is year number three, but it's awesome to be with you on the air uh, today, Gavin. Yeah, it's, uh, it's wonderful to be with you guys. This is my first time at the festival and uh, we're, we're really excited. Uh, we've been working on this film for, for seven years now and it's, it's really wonderful to be able to share it with the world. And, uh, and more so because you know the people that are on the ground that we were filming with for so long, they need us to speak out for them and they need their story to be known uh, because you know they're putting their lives at risk every day to, to save these wonderful forests, these, these places that are, you know, have this intangible uh, worth for, for humanity. And, you know, it's just great to be able to, to take their story and, and share with people and kind of try to make them, uh, you know, become part of their struggle, you know, and join their struggle to, to, to save these, uh, these, these incredible biodiverse forests that are, that are so important. So it's, it's really, really exciting for us to, to finally be able to, to share this story with all of you. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for uh, joining us this evening. And, um, you know, I would love, we, ha we have a few minutes to talk, so I would love to hear a little bit of the background, kind of um, the duration of the project, the, the stakes of telling this story, and how did you originally come across each other and this effort, this story that you wanted to tell? Well, I'll start and then I'll hand it off to Camilo. Camilo and I have known each other for almost 12 years, I believe, 11 or 12 years. I met him uh, when he was um, transitioning from journalism to filmmaking, and we made a film together in the Bosawas Biosphere Reserve in northern Nicaragua uh, with the Mayagna Indians and had a wonderful experience, and it opened my eyes to the, the fact that the primary driver of deforestation in Nicaragua and other countries in the region is illegal cattle ranching. So we made that short film and had a lot of success, uh, mostly in Nicaragua, but wanted to do something bigger and to go more in depth into the story. So we decided to embark on this journey and I'll hand it off to Camilo to, to say, to tell us how that happened. Yeah, and, uh, I'm, I'm a Nicaraguan uh, journalist, uh, filmmaker and activist. Uh, so I've been working with indigenous communities for over 15 years now. And, you know, we were after making, uh, you know, the songs of Bosawas, we were really, we we're looking to do something that would tackle the cause of, of uh, deforestation. So we, we you know, uh, journeyed to, to Indio Maiz, and we were just blown away by, you know, the, how the community there was, uh, you know, organized and doing patrols and, and, and you know, working to, together to, to sort of, preserve their, their this this incredible uh, you know their territory and this incredible reserve and and we were just enamored uh, you know immediately decided we needed to tell this story and started to collaborate with other people who, who were you know helping the 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 Raman Creole organize and 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 started uh, you know spending time with you know 
traveling to to the area and and joining them on these patrols. Um, so it was uh, you know an enormous privilege to be in these you know uh, totally virgin forests, you know, uh, uh, and, and 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 to be able to to see this world uh through through the eyes of the people that, that live there you know and and accompany them in in this effort that they in, in this work that they're doing to 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 try to um to fend off these these uh you know illegal cattle rangers and and land traffickers who are invading the reserve uh so that's you know how we we started and and they, we collaborated with uh with rewild which is a an NGO uh, in the United States who, that's been that works all over the world, but has been working for a long time in Nicaragua. And it's it's um, and and you know we it, it was a great partnership, and it continues to and we continue to work together uh, now to shine light on on the situation, which unfortunately has has you know worsened, and uh, and now you know we need to uh, uh, we hope that this campaign and this film will help you know really uh, ex exert some pressure on, on the companies that are buying beef from Nicaragua and, and also on the government to, to really take action uh, to, 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 to defend, to make sure that the, the human rights of, of the people who live there are, are not uh, respected. Yeah, it's interesting how uh, kind of a, a full feature-length documentary film can sort of have its own closed story, but also... Um, you know, just just because of the way narrative is in compared to life, you know, things continue to evolve and change after the quote unquote work um, is done. So, you know, I don't know if um, you have any further reflections on on that in kind of how the documentary just marks uh, a beginning, um, and maybe also how that ties into showing it here at Mountain Film. Yeah, that's that's a wonderful point i mean we we filmed for a number of years with the rama and the creole who live in the indio maize biosphere or biological reserve um but political repression and violence has increased in nicaragua and i'll allow i'll let camilo to speak uh, speak on that in a second um so you know we were able to follow their story to a certain point and put this film together and then continue to work with them to gather media uh, stills video um investigation um, uh, assets that they've put together on their patrols to, you know, build sort of a comprehensive um, framework and comprehensive database of what has continued to go on. And the invasions of the protected areas and the indigenous territories are increasing. Um, and a lot of that is due to the increasing demand for Nicaraguan beef. Uh, thus, we have partnered with Rewild to put together an impact campaign that hopes to reduce the demand for said beef apply pressure to governments both on the ground and abroad and to support the Rama and the Creole in their fight to protect their sacred forests from uh, from illegal cattle ranchers and land traffickers. Yeah, I know, as Brad says, you know, the situation in Nicaragua, we had a, there was a kind of a citizen rebellion in 2018 and, uh, you know, uh, the government has really cracked down. So a lot of us who are, you know, environmentalists and, and, and work with indigenous communities have had to leave the country. Now I'm exiled in Costa Rica. Um, so for me, it's 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 kind of very emotional to 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 you know to share this film with with people because it's 
probably the last film I, I will film. I, I, I don't know when I'm going to be able to film again in Nicaragua. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's an emotional, just, just finishing this film was, was hard. Uh, you know, just knowing that I, I can't go back now, but, but, but it is important, you know, that I, I feel really, um, uh, encouraged, you know, by the fact that, you know, Mountain Film saw, saw the, the, the documentary and, and brought it into the programming. Uh, you know, we're hoping to show it in other film festivals. And, and like Brad said, we're working on this campaign. So we really think, you know, we can have a real impact on people's lives. You know, we, uh, you know, a lot of people are, are, are in Nicaragua sort of fighting silently and they can't, uh, you know, they're because of the repression, there's uh, they, a lot of them are, you know, have, are fearful. And so it's it's those of us who are outside, you know, have have a sort of the responsibility to be their voices. And, and we hope that with the film, we can bring other people on to this, uh, you know, to this fight to 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 protect this forest. Uh, so it's, um, you know, it's 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 it's, it's very exciting. Um, and I think what, one of the things also that, you know, we, you know, understanding this issue of illegal cattle ranching is it's it's so complex, you know, uh, sort of consumer habit, habits and, and, you know, how do we change our diets and you know, how do we hold these companies accountable? I mean, there's so much to talk about. Uh, and so we hope to, you know, through the film sort of, you know, start all these conversations. And, and I think that through this, 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 the, through the film, we can, we can, we hope to, uh, to, you know, to start, get people thinking, but, but also get engaged with people and then uh, get them to act. Um, so, and hopefully also work with indigenous communities across the region in Central America, uh, but also in in other places of Latin, in, in Latin America and even the United States. So, it's um, we 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 have we have very ambitious plans, and it all starts in mountain film. So we we are very happy um, to to be able to share the film. Um, all right, and I I understand this um, was the recipient of a mountain film commitment grant. Is that correct? Uh, that is correct. Yes, and. Uh, you know what does what does that process entail? Um, in kind of the last few minutes uh, we have to to talk about patrol and, and your important work. Yeah, well, being a I'm a second time Mountain Film Grant recipient. Uh, the film that I premiered there last year, Danny's Twins, was also a recipient. And for me, it is it's a it's a stamp of approval. It's a it's Mountain Film Committee saying we believe in your work. We believe that this is this work should be shared with the world. Um, you know, each year they open up their application process to, to documentary filmmakers. And I believe this past year expanded their offering slightly. Um, but for me, it's, it's an honor to be part of the mountain film community. Uh, mountain film is my favorite film festival in the world. Uh, it's one of the, you know, it's not just a film festival. It's also a, a, a conference and it brings together some of the brightest minds working in conservation and climate science and climate change storytelling um so you know it's just for me it's it's almost like it's it's a small badge of honor uh to be a part of the community and um i am just so glad to be able to share this film this year with mountain film uh i you know this the guest director this year bill mckibben i think patrol is a perfect fit um for his uh, for his participation, so we're very excited to see what 
the festival highlights this year as far as climate storytelling and, and conservation stories as well. All right. Thank you both so much for joining us this evening. Um, the, this is Brad Allgood and Camilo De Castro discussing their film Patrol, which will premiere uh, this coming Memorial Day weekend at Mountain Film. Next up, we're going to see if we can connect with um, the director of Trees and Other Entanglements, which is another um, another Mountain Film premiere coming up. And we have the director, Irene Taylor um, joining us. Irene, uh, are you with us? Hey there. I sure am. Hey, welcome. Um, you're live on Kodo, so I don't know if that's uh, uh, new for you, but thanks for joining us. And uh, what can you share with us about um, trees and other entanglements? Well, I can share a lot. <laughs> Uh, all right, well, go ahead and dive in. Maybe some uh, technical difficulties there. Um, I'll see if I can contact her. Suzanne. Oh, oh there you Hi. are. Hi, Irene. Oh, hey, you're back. <laughs> hey, did you have me there for a moment? Yes. Uh, we that. did. We did. Okay, not sure what happened. Um, so... Uh, Trees and Other Entanglements is a interwoven story about six people and their relationship to trees. And what I realized over the course of looking for these subjects is that, you know, many of us, we, we have a certain way we feel about trees. Um, many of us, some of our earliest memories of, are of trees in our backyard. Some of us grow up to uh to work with trees maybe we cut them down maybe we photograph them maybe we style tiny trees to look like big trees maybe you know a tree represents a family history or a family tree but we all have some connection to trees and um so what i did was i just tried to tell tell a a, a non-fiction approach to all of those relationships and how they actually can intertwine with each other with people we don't know yeah it's a it's a kind of um i mean there are many words to describe the way that these kind of interrelated short stories are weaving um together but you know listeners who haven't you know you haven't seen the film because it has yet to premiere um but it really does kind of build itself out of you know all of these different experiences and relationships um between humans and trees as as you describe irene um how did you select and follow these stories uh, you know what was the process of filmmaking like to thread many narratives together rather than to focus on one um issue or or one narrative in particular yeah yeah well it's definitely not what i would call an issue film it's not a film about climate change and yet it's impacted by climate change it's not a film about the good, the bad, and the ugly of tree politics. It's not about that. But um, 
so because it's not about that, I think I really was very, in the beginning, the world was my oyster. And I, uh, this was pre-pandemic, and I was literally looking in every country around the world. And um, when the pandemic started, I had, I had settled on uh, telling a story out of France, a story um, in Brazil, uh, a story in Canada, a couple of stories here in the United States. And when the, uh, when the pandemic really made it clear that international travel would not only be uh, very difficult, but also I realized that it was just like the universe telling me to look at North America. That's and, interesting. Um, I, I had yeah. noticed they weren't international and wondered, wondered why. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and it really was a factor of um, just where we were in the world at that time. So um, I ended up with uh, six stories. One is in Canada. And uh, that is about a tree planter who's been a tree planter, one of the earliest tree planters in Canadian history. He started in the late 60s. And uh, he now runs the largest tree planting operation in the country. And, um, and then we have a story about a woman with her family tree. We have a story about George Weyerhaeuser, who was the longest running CEO of the Weyerhaeuser Corporation. And it looks at both his legacy and also um, his affiliation with bonsai and his affinity for bonsai. We have two other stories around bonsai, um, and those just kind of fell into my lap. And uh, so finally, uh, and this woman will be coming to Mountain Film, we have a story about a tree photographer who really, um, I think, is just... Uh, has the most exquisite large-scale photographs, large format photographs of trees that I've I've ever come across. And, and Irene, will you be joining us in Telluride as well? I will. I'll be there with um, a good a good number from my team, and I'll be there with two of our subjects. One is Ryan Neal. He's a, a bonsai artist based in Oregon, and. Uh, really the uh, maverick of American bonsai, I would say. And uh, the second is Beth Moon, and she is the photographer I was mentioning. Wonderful. And sort of uh, on a final note, will you just talk a little bit about um, what it's like to, to, to be as in a festival as a filmmaker? What is that specific environment like? Are you, are you nervous? Are you excited about the premiering of a film? Um, what sort of mind melt happens uh, here at Mountain Film, um, and what what are you ex looking forward to? Well, I've been to Mountain Film once before uh, with a film I did several years ago called Moonlight Sonata, and um, I couldn't believe how different it was than any other festival I'd ever been to. Um, obviously, Mountain Film is a smaller festival than other festivals folks may have heard of, but I think the, the, the gathering is one of people who really bring a special feel to the audience and to the theater when you're there. And, um, you know, I talked with my partners at HBO about a suitable place to 
let this to birth the film into the world with our first audiences and we just we agreed that mountain film had just just how far it is to get there i think the people who come it's it shows a certain commitment on their part and i think the people who live there or who cycle through telluride throughout the year um really have an affinity for the natural world if they didn't they would might not be as interested because it's such a beautiful part of the country so i think um this film is really uh i think it's directed at everyone tree lover or not but i think that um or i should say i hope that in telluride it finds a happy audience and an audience that feels deeply engaged with this the characters in this film you know they have they have some things to tell us about trees and um it's been pretty life-changing for me i want to throw in a little aside i so admire irene's work we've met before and um uh she's incredibly humble she her film moonlight sonata was a huge hit festivals around the world and was on hbo as her new film trees and other entanglements will be as well so we're just irene we're just so honored that you are allowing us to premiere your next film at um, mountain film you have such a prolific career so thank you for that um, I also wanted to mention that the artists that she's mentioned, Ryan Neal, the bonsai artist, and Beth Moon are going to be appearing at Slate Gray Gallery. So on uh, Friday, when we have our art walk, you'll be able to see Beth's works, her large format prints. Um, that will, They'll be up all weekend, but that'll be a great time to go by. And Ryan will be doing some work on bonsai during the day on Friday, if, if that's still correct, Irene, is that true? Yeah. That's, that's yeah, going to be amazing uh, to watch him work live. Yeah, he's, um, he's driving his trees down from Oregon. That's incredible. And a lot of you may remember reading about Ryan. He was uh, featured in a New Yorker article very recently, and he is the most well-known bonsai artist in, the, in America. So it'll be I just can't, I mean, it's very amazing that he's going to be bringing some trees with him. And he's a Colorado man. He oh, I grew didn't up know in, that. Uh, he grew up, yeah, in the uh, near Glenwood Springs. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So he uh, he was very happy when I told him we would premiere the film in Colorado. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I have to say as well, like when I first started to watch the film, I, I, you hadn't quite settled on a title yet at the time and I just I thought it would be like okay this is going to be a, a, a pure straight up film about trees and I was so pleased that you just take it a step further to this very um, <laughs> as as you all have been saying the relationship between people and trees and, and in some very interesting ways like not expected some of them maybe more so like Beth and her photographs but some very unexpected relationships so and and they are entanglements they are they are sometimes complicated relationships so i thank you for bringing that that element to your film yeah yeah i mean i think it's it's very uh, i think the film could possibly depoliticize some aspects of trees and really personalize them as we understand that you know trees 
given that they are shelter, they are firewood, they are fuel, they are, you know, they are, they are um, used for art. There's so many purposes for them that often get politicized because of the way we harvest them or use them. But I think at the end of the day, all of those relationships boil down to a relationship between the person and that tree. And um, George Weyerhaeuser was uh, someone who I wanted to include in the film from the get-go. And it wasn't until the very, very tail end of filming after three years that um, he agreed to be in my film. And I feel incredibly fortunate to have him in the film because he passed away just three months after we did the interview. And, you know, George is known by many as, uh, you know, the CEO of the largest, the largest uh, timber harvesting company in North America. And um, very few people know that he loved bonsai and, in fact, uh, has done more financially for the bonsai art form because he has created a market for it. Weyerhaeuser Company was the first real buyer of American bonsai besides the US government who tried to you know have bonsai come from Japan and they really um, it allowed people like Ryan Neal to become what are called now bonsai professionals which is to say they make a living doing it you know not just selling bonsai trees for a hundred bucks a pop in a nursery but actually taking the art form and so there's all these this is what I mean by entanglements and so I hope that people will um, you know, come along for the ride and maybe have a little bit of surprises here and there about what they thought they knew about people that are a little bit different. (laughs) All right, Irene, uh, thank you so much for joining us um, on Kodo this evening. And thank you so much for bringing this uh, film to tell your eye to Mountain Film yes, the premiere. I I love Mountain Film and thank you Suzanne. We're so excited to come. We'll see you in a little over a week. I can't believe it. I know. Great. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. All right. Uh, listeners, that was Irene Taylor and she is bringing her film Trees and Other Entanglements to uh, Mountain Film this coming Memorial Day. And we are talking tonight about uh, a a little sneak peek of mountain film for us radio folks um, and community members and uh, yeah we've still got a couple filmmakers joining us throughout the hour so give us a call if you'd like Uh, you know our number it's 970-728-4333 and um, kind of in studio you know they're all joining us over zoom but it feels like they're here with us Uh, We have Meg Griffiths, who was the co-director of Impossible Town. Um, Meg, can you hear us all right? We can hear you, Gavin. I'm Scott Ferris, my co-director, here with me as well. Oh, awesome. Hi, Uh, Meg and Scott. Hi, Suzanne. Thanks for having us. Of course. Well, thank you both for coming on. Um, And it's great to have both of you. Uh, So here's another film that is premiering at Mountain Film. Uh, another community grant recipient, I believe. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. And um, you know what? What just to start off, what would you two like to share uh, about your film? Well, first of all, thank you for having us this evening. We're super excited. This is the first interview we've done about Impossible Town, and we we literally just export on the final cut last night. So, having made a feature documentary is still very fresh for us, uh, and we're so excited to debut it at Mountain Film and 
less than two weeks. Really exciting. We just downloaded your DCP today. Exciting stuff. <laughs> We're getting a sigh of relief over here. <laughs> we are too. We're like, hmm, okay. Cause, you know, that's that's the that's part of the um, benefit of being a world premiere is we're more patient with when your <laughs> exhibition format shows up. So what's the DP, DCP? DCP? What does that stand for? Digital Cinema Package. It's how we screen our films. Used to I be film so. reels, and now it's um, a little hard drive with the special file on there. So, Megan Scott, you have just now released your your first film to Mountain Film. Is that correct? That That is correct. And, well, congrats. Mountain Film only. So this is the only place that you can see it until you arrive next weekend. Awesome. Well, give us, uh, give us a sneak peek. Give us a, um, a hint of what you were working on over yeah, there sure. in uh, West Virginia. Our, our film is called Impossible Town, and it chronicles four years in the life of Dr. Ayn Amjad who in the wake of her father's death, plans to carry out his dream of relocating the town of Minden, West Virginia, due to some cancer causing chemicals that are present there. Uh, this is not your parents' environmental justice story. This is a film that has an inspirational hook uh, and it has lots of ups and downs and a fairly shocking final twist that kind of forces you to reinterpret everything that's come before it. Um, and how did this project come about? How does it sort of um, expand upon interests you maybe had in the past or depart from them? Uh, and, and how long were you following uh, and located in the, the town of Menden? Yeah, so Meg and I have been following this story for just shy of five years. This is not a story that I think either of us ever thought we would tell, but I grew up in West Virginia. And as much as I have tried to escape the state and escape my West Virginia identity, and in young adulthood, I have found that it has, that part of me has lingered. And uh, I, I have found a, a sort of pride in being from a place like this, which is often misrepresented or misunderstood, not always due to malicious intent, but it's just a place that for, for a number of reasons, people don't often know a lot about. And so when Meg and I started our production company uh, in 2017, we knew right away that we wanted to try to shed some light on this region of the country. And it was soon after that that we heard about Dr. Amjad's work through an old high school classmate of hers that we were connected with. The rest kind of unfolded very organically. And I think, you know, when we met Ayn, it was so clear from the outset that she was so ambitious, that she wasn't, you know, somebody that was a typical, a person that would typically represent West Virginia. And I think that immediately drew us into the story. She was so ambitious. She was also reeling from the loss of her father. And, you know, I think that in a lot of ways, as Scott mentioned, it's not a traditional environmental justice story. It has a twist ending, but it's fundamentally a story really about loss and grief. And there's a parallel between Ayn's loss of her father and Minden's loss of health and hope and its sense of really having a brighter future. Um, and I think we see how their grief plays out in complicating ways, complicated ways that really leads them to take um, interesting positions on critical issues throughout the film. Um, and I think watching all of this play out is really, in some ways, what's most interesting about the film. Yeah, it it, it does have a twist ending, but it's also, in some ways, very open-ended. Um, and it, it brings, you know, lots of uh, questions in, uh, at the end there as well. Um, another thing that's coming to mind is that 
here in our region specifically, you know, there, and actually a film that Suzanne worked on um, out in the West End, you know, there's a history in this part of Colorado of um, contaminated areas, areas contaminated by mining, relocation of um, entire towns for kind of EPA cleanup efforts and all of these sorts of things. Um, you know, I'm not sure that that will specifically jump out for everybody who, who's watching it at Mountain Film, but, um, you know, just thinking about some of these things, thinking about how uh, the film is also open-ended, what do you hope audiences and audiences here in Telluride will take away from this film? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you're, you're absolutely right about the open-ended nature of the film. And I think it's one of the cool things about nonfiction filmmaking, about documentary filmmaking, is that we don't have to pretend like the narratives uh, are wrapped up with a tidy little bow at the end. You know, that can sometimes feel less good, less settling than when you see a fictional film, but it's so much more real and so much more relatable. What we hope people take away from this particular story is that the world is not necessarily a struggle between good and evil people, as we sometimes find it easy to believe. I think what's actually true is that you have this sort of concert of really flawed communicators that are motivated by different perspectives. Um, and I think as an extension of that kind of tendency to oversimplify the world, we should exercise great skepticism in the face of what appear to be silver bullet solutions to complex problems, particularly when those solutions fall on the shoulders of individuals. Um, so we think there's value in some honesty around the way the film shows these issues as being somewhat intractable and, and naughty, difficult to untangle. And I think too, you invoked the EPA, who obviously um, you know, has a strong presence in the film. And I think there's a clear message here for those government agencies that they must do a better job of communicating with communities like uh, the folks in Minden that have endured a history of trauma. Um, it's not just about delivering data. It's also about interfacing with a past that's filled with really complex emotions. So I think there is a clear call to action there. And, and when you were making this film, did you feel like um, you had a real specific uh, idea about who this movie was made for, kind of who it was dedicated to, um, who who it was speaking for. You know, we had uh, s some other filmmakers who profiled um, deforestation in Nicaragua, Nicaragua and, you know, they spoke very specifically about ways in which the film could play into knowledge and education and activism for, you know, those specific communities. Um, you know, given given your backgrounds and your personal backgrounds, your career backgrounds, uh, do you have a specific um, kind of dedication for this project? It's a great question. I think at the end of the day, the film is dedicated to those who played such a key role in the story who are no longer with us. This is the type of story where you will meet several people during the duration of the film who did not live to see the completion of the film just due to the nature of the story that we're telling. So first and foremost, this film is dedicated to those individuals. Aside from that, you know, Meg and I have had lots of conversations about who this film speaks on behalf of, who it is for. 
And I think at the end of the day, and Meg, I hope you agree with this. I think we only feel confident in saying that the film speaks for the perspective that we bring to the story that we're telling and the state of West Virginia. And that is really, I think, all I, I can do. I don't know if we can confidently say that this film speaks on behalf of all of the participants whose stories are represented here. Um, but we tried to report the facts as we saw them in a, in a way that has integrity and has some sense of ethical uh, obligation to the story as we saw it play out. And I mean, you asked about our respective backgrounds as filmmakers. Um, and, you know, I had a decade long career as a journalist, a photo and video journalist working for daily newspapers. And I think that this story really underscores the importance of making sure that we are second guessing our initial emotional reactions to stories. Um, you know, we're often taught to trust our feelings, but we don't talk enough about how those strong feelings can shape our interpretations of the world. And I think in documentary filmmaking specifically, when you're working really closely with subjects and around, you know, issues that are related to trauma, it's even more important for us to be very thoughtful about the way that we're reporting a story and following it to its conclusion. Because I think that if you had asked Scott and I five years ago, is this where we thought the story would end? We would have never guessed that it would have taken us here, but it really took us following the facts to make sure that we felt like we could wrap up the story in a way that felt satisfying and true to what occurred. Yeah, and there were several moments where, because of the emotions we felt towards the characters who are part of the story, we wanted to take the film in a particular direction. And we had lots of conversations about not letting our emotions lead the story that we were telling, but rather just presenting the information as it arrived. And I think in some ways we uh, take viewers on the journey, the emotional journey that we went on as, as filmmakers too. And um, what specific, I mean, I, you guys are perhaps um, new to Mountain Film, is that correct? We are brand new to Mountain well, Film. Well, we are brand new in terms of having a In terms of having a film, film here. Right. But we're, long, we're longtime fans. I have family in Telluride. Many of my closest friends and filmmaker friends have premiered their films at Mountain Film. Um, I went to college in Colorado. I grew up spending a lot of time in Colorado. So for me, this was really a dream to be able to premiere our film um, with Suzanne and the team at Mountain Film. Yeah, and in terms of being here and, and being part of the festival as filmmakers, um, what sort of stands out to you uh, as um, feelings and anticipation of of that experience. Um, you know what what does sort of the specific culture of the film festival premiere and and the sort of feedback um, uh, mean for you? What does that add to your work? Well, I think first and foremost we have to shout out the Redford Center, who was a huge supporter of this project um, from the very beginning, and they're going to have a presence at Mountain Film this year, which we're super excited about. We're going to get to sit on a panel with them on Sunday morning at 8 a.m. talking about optimism in the space of environmental justice filmmaking. Um, I mean, in some ways, I think for Scott and I, it feels like a, a return to home because we know that we're going to be premiering our film. Um, with a community that has supported this film from the outset. 
Um, we're also excited to, I think, talk about some of the challenging issues that our film raises with a community of folks that are interested in stories that touch on these really important environmental issues. So we couldn't imagine a more apropos place to be um, premiering our film and having the chance to have conversations around um, some of the topics that it covers. Yeah, I mean, to that, I would only add that there are films and filmmakers that we so admire that we've watched premiere at Mountain Film. So this is a venue that is not only sort of geographically and naturally gorgeous, but that has long been on our radar as just a mark of excellence, uh, uh, excellence in craft and storytelling and meaning uh, in the work that, that airs there, which is so important to both Meg and I. All right, thank you both so much for joining us this evening um, to talk about Impossible Town. Um, this has been Meg Griffiths and Scott Ferris. Thank you, Meg and Scott. Um, I can't wait to get to meet you in person. And um, yeah, we're so honored that you're having your premiere with us here at Mountain Film. We'll see you in one week. All right. We can't wait. We're counting down the days. And we're bringing a big crowd. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. Thank you both. And listeners, we are talking all things mountain film this evening, um, kind of as a little uh, sneak peek of the festival before it comes um, next week. And we have one more uh, filmmaker joining us this evening, and those are the folks behind Sophia, which actually uh, has premiered already at Tribeca, um, but will be screening here in Telluride with some special guests, as I understand. Um, so let's see. Um, John and Crystal, are you there with us? Yes. Hello. Thanks for uh, having us. Welcome. So this is um, John Caspi, the director of Sophia. John, how am I saying your name? Pretty well. John, John Casby. Casby, all right. And uh, is is Crystal with you, or is it just you representing the film this evening? Uh, Crystal was gonna join, but I don't know if she's here yet. Here, I'll send her a text. All right. Well, we'll see. And um, thank you for coming on Kodo this evening to talk about Sophia, um, at, which is gonna be coming up in Mountain Film. Uh, and will you just start by telling us a little bit about? Uh, your film, the film project, sort of the background and how you came across this very uh, unique subject and, and also maybe, um, you know, whatever you want to share about about her and her creator. Yeah, totally. So Sophia is a film about a robot. Um, and she's not just any robot, she's a humanoid. So she looks like a human. Um, and originally we first got interested in Sophia um, because Crystal saw a YouTube video of her um, and was just fascinated by the way that her face was moving and the way that she was speaking and interacting and creating this almost human-to-human -human, uh, interaction feeling. Um, and so Crystal reached out to David Hansen and the company um, and had a conversation and, um, and, and was quite surprised to find that what David was mostly talking about was the idea of consciousness, which surprised her. Um, and that was kind of what kicked us off. After, after that, Crystal and I had a few conversations about this. And then I went to Hong Kong and met David and met Sophia and was just surprised to find that this is very much so felt like kind of like a family 
operation. Um, and David was this character who, in a lot of in a lot of stories around businesses and 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 tech, I think we we oftentimes find these characters that are a little bit stiffer and a little bit more reserved. And I don't even, I don't want to use the word professional, but just almost distant in a way, especially at the works workplace. And David was the opposite of that. He was wearing his emotions on his sleeve. He was very. Um, visual in, in everything that he was going through. And I think for us as storytellers, that really excited us. Um, and over time, you know, we got to know him better and better and started to learn about what makes him tick and why he created Sophia. And, um, and that inspired us, you know, it reminded us a lot of being an artist kind of trapped in a corporate world, which is what it felt like he and Sophia were at the time. Um, and so we were really excited and honored to, to follow them for a couple of years and, and make this film. Right. So, so Sophia is basically a form of kind of humanoid artificial intelligence, um, more or less. Is that correct? Yes. And you, when, when did you first set out to make this film? When did uh, Crystal first see that YouTube video? I think it was 2018 is when we first started having conversations about it. Um, and it was a really, you know, it was a, it was a slow organic process. Like we really wanted to make sure that David... Um, trusted us and the team that was building Sophia understood why we wanted to make this film and and also wanted to make sure we were doing our due diligence and understanding them and what their motivations were. I think oftentimes in, in AI, it's a very scary conversation um, around you know this technology becoming sentient and taking over and humans no longer being relevant and no longer having jobs. And I think one thing that really ex excited us about what David was doing and what he was saying was that, and, and a lot of other leaders in the AI space, I think agree with this, and we're seeing it more and more with what's happening today with, the, with what Elon Musk has recently put out saying, pause all development on AI, is that there's this, there is real risk um, and there is real fear around things going sideways. And I think David um, acknowledges that and believes that as well. And, and that's part of what motivates him to want to create an empathetic, compassionate machine. Um, he, he oftentimes talks about how when you look at the way humanity treats machines, we often treat them as secondary, like they're here to serve us. When you think about the way you treat your, your cell phone or your car um, or your printer, um, you know, we, we don't treat it like it's living. We don't treat it like it has consciousness. And, and that's why he created Sophia with a human-like image, because when you put a human face on a machine, suddenly it changes the way we treat it. And so his, his dream, his hope is that by creating human-like machines, we'll treat them with compassion, we'll treat them with empathy, and that uh, they can learn that and over time they can work together with us. Hey, Crystal, over time they can work together with us um, to actually help us solve some of our very human issues. Uh, hello. We also have um, an, one of the co-directors, Crystal Moselle, who is joining us this evening. Um, and Crystal, welcome. Say hi to the Kodo listeners and thanks for coming on tonight. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Oh, we're good. We're just talking about um, kind of being immersed in AI back in 2018 when you originally set out to make this film and sort of um, the strangeness or even the prescience of it, you know, knowing that ChatGPT has just in the last, you know, six to eight months totally blown up the way uh, people think about the stake of something like artificial intelligence. Um, and then John was also kind of touching on, uh, you know, sort of, and I'm sure listeners relate to this, sort of the strangeness of a human robot um, 
even though that technology is sort of more and more embedded in the everyday. Um, but yeah, we would love to just hear, Crystal, maybe um, an intro and kind of your own spin on, on what got you interested in this subject and how you and John met. Yeah. Um, hi, this is Crystal Moselle, and I am the co-director of this project with John Casby, the brilliant John Casby, who <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we had worked together a few times and I loved working with him. He's great. He's like, so he's so creative. And I just felt like he had a really kind of modern contemporary look at making things. And um, I think that we like really saw eye to eye. So when this project came up, like I, I had always wanted to make a movie there's like a documentary that, you know, followed a subject that felt like it was something that'd be in like a dystopian future movie. Um, but it was in life right now. And when I saw Sophia on on uh, online, I immediately realized that this could be our subject. So I I hit up um, David Hansen and um, asked, you know, I. I like signed like one of their like little things online. It's like a little form that you sign and they got back to me instantly and we just started talking. Um, and the first thing that he said, he said, you know, I'm interested in consciousness and what it means to be a human. And I just wasn't expecting that to be, you know, the first thing that we were going to be talking about basically. Um, I thought he'd be like interested in AI and um, furthering technology, but he's more interested in like how the interact, how we interact with AI and like what does that mean because it's happening. So how can we do it in a responsible way? Um, and I, uh, you know, I, I talked to John. I said, you know, because we were both like quite busy at that point, so we felt like it, the best thing to do is just to kind of do like a collaborative project where he's doing parts of it, I'm doing parts of it. And um, it really worked out that way. And um, I said, well, let's see if there's even a movie here. And so John uh, went to, uh, John went to Hong Kong. Kong and he can tell you the rest of that part. <laughs> and I yeah, would love well, to we, hear. Um... We kind of covered it earlier. We kind of covered oh, okay, it earlier. Just yeah, yeah. John already told you what happened then. <laughs> oh, great. Well, well, we'll keep talking about Sophia, but I also, John, um, before I forget, I wanted folks in Telluride and who were listening to Kodo to, you know, you've had a couple other films at Mountain Film that were just brilliant, as is Sophia. I just absolutely love this film. If you could just uh, share with us your other films you've had at Mountain Film and your experience when you came with those films. Yeah, yeah. I've had a few shorts play at Mountain Film, and I also had my first feature when Lambs Become Lions play at Mountain Film, and it was, I can say, like, by far one of the best festival experiences I've ever had. Um, one thing I love about Mountain Film is, first of all, it's in Telluride, which is, like, the greatest place on earth, but also just the sense of community and, like, at the end of each night, everyone's kind of gathering in the same place and you keep running into the same people and 
and building real friendships. Um, some of my some of my favorite people that I met on the festival tour came out of of time spent at Mountain Film. So I'm just so pumped to be back there with another film and feel so grateful for all the exposure and support that um, that the festival provides. And also the grant. I remember that the, there's a Mountain Film grant that uh, my first feature, When Lands Become Lions, received, which was really really came in at a crucial moment in the edit. Um, so yeah, we're we're huge fans of the festival and so excited to be back with a new film and and really excited to be able to bring David Hansen, the main character of the film, and Sophia the robot there. Um, it's it's very rare that we're able to bring them to screenings because it's quite an ordeal when they come, but it uh it really turns it from being just a screening into a real party. So we're pumped. So he's let the cat out of the bag. Yes, Sophia will be attending. Oh, no, was no, that a no, 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 it wasn't a secret. No, <laughs> Sophia okay. even did like a little uh, video talking about how she was coming to Mountain Film. So, no, you didn't let the cat out of the bag. But just for people who are listening, this is like a great opportunity for them to realize how important it is for them to come to your screening so they can interact with Sophia and AI firsthand. It's kind of like, how do you get to do that? That's It's pretty incredible. She's coming all the way from Hong Kong. She has a very busy social calendar. Um, she's off to London immediately following Mountain Film. So she's got a lot going on. I'm not, I wonder how altitude affects a humanoid robot. Oh, she talks about that in her little video. She's ah. like, you silly humans. <laughs> <laughs> For someone who has like so many clones, she is by far the busiest of us all. It's It's pretty wild. Yeah. How many Sophias are there now? I want to say there's over... Is it, It's like high 40s. I think it's like 48, 49. Wow. Last time I spoke with David. But every time I talk with him, there's like another one. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, they're building them quick. All right. Well, John and Crystal, we are approaching the end of our hour here. Um, but listeners, uh, if you're tuned in tonight, you can get more... Um, of Sophia, more of the film, more of all of these films and filmmakers uh, at the festival this coming Memorial Day. Um, and John and Crystal, thank you so much for joining us on Kodo this evening. I can't so wait to see us. you guys. We'll see you in a week. All yeah, right. See you soon. Thank Great. you. Okay. Bye. 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 All right. So. Suzanne, that puts us at the end of our filmmakers and just about the end of our hour. Yeah, you know, I just found out that I, I, I don't know if this would be an appropriate thing to do, but I do have some tickets we could give away if people are interested to any film they want to go to or any speaker. They could go see Bill McKibben. They could go to the panel about AI. They can go see Sophia, Patrol, Trees and Other Entanglements, Impossible Town, or one of our amazing shorts programs. So... I don't how know. Can they, how can they get their hands on these? That is well, quite, I don't know. <laughs> quite <Should> exciting. <laughs> should we offer, should we offer we the call offer in? We offer a pair right now if people... Ah! Oh, and there we have a so call So now in. we know people were listening. See, it was All a test. All right. Hey there, you're live on Kodo. Hi, good show. Uh, this is Ian and I, this is the man. And uh, are, you in, are you interested in a couple tickets to one of the films that we heard about this evening? That'd be great. All right. Can I get your last name? Bald, B-A-L-D. Is this Ian Bald? Same one. Oh, hi, Ian Bald. Hey, Ian. <laughs> I even have your phone number, so you don't have to give it to me. But, Ian, I will give you a call, and I'll tell you how to pick okay. them up. Great. 
Great. I'm really enjoying your show. Thank you so much. Amazing, amazing films and amazing people. And there's just a lot more of that at the festival. I can't wait for you guys to come. Good. Great. Can't wait, too. All right, Ian, thanks so much for listening. And thanks for giving us a call. We'll see you at the festival. All right. There we go. Should we, should we try that Let's again? Try do you again. have two more? <laughs> I do. Why not? Okay. Well, if anybody else is listening, we have two more tickets to um, to see some programming at Mountain Film. Um, and Suzanne. Yes. I was wondering what... Uh, well, see, I was going to ask a question, but um, the tickets are too popular. So here we're going to see who is on this call here. Hey there. You're live on Kodo. <laughs> Hi. Uh, hi. Did you hear about our <laughs> ticket deal? Is I, that why you're calling? I did. That's why I'm calling. Yeah, this is Kelsey Trottier, and I heard that you were giving out tickets, and I was like, I would love to see some of the things you just talked about in this program. Kelsey, what's your phone number, and I'll give you a call. It is 774 Seven seven four two eight zero four three four nine. That's right. Okay, we'll give you a call and we'll let you know how to pick them up. Awesome! Thank you so much. We'll see you at the festival. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Kelsey. And this is so fun. I need to give things away on every off the record. I know. Isn't it fun? <laughs> we could always tell people they can call after two, and you could jot them down and let me know if you don't want it to disrupt right now or I don't even know what your next five minutes Right, so so how many more pairs do you want to... We can give away another uh, two or six, uh, another like four pairs. Another four pairs. Um, all right. So how sh- how's that, the yeah. best way to do it? Throughout the next hour, we could leave you with Pow Surf Radio um, while Pow Surf is playing music. Uh, then just... Give them a call. You know our number. It's 970-728-4333. And say which of the films we talked about you would be most excited to see. And give him your phone number, and he'll get that over to Suzanne. Um, so when you know, whenever Pow Surf is done with his community calendar or whatever else he's got to do, the lines are open. Um and, you know, I'm sure there's so much we didn't even touch upon tonight, yeah. but we covered a lot. Um, and, Suzanne, thank you so much thank for you. holding down the fort with me. I'm going to leave you with, like, five seconds. There's a lot of free programs. There's going to be free-range outdoor stuff. Go on a hike with North Face athletes. There's going to be free films, as always, at Base Camp, which is in Town Park. And we have our free coffee talks every day. And I'm sure there's other free things too, but I'm just... Uh, and the whole festival dedicated to our very own uh, Hillary Nelson. That's right. That, actually, that's another free program we're going to have. Um, just come by Hospitality, which is the old Fat Alley. That's the Mountain Film Building, and we can let you give you a program. And we'd love to see you at the Hillary Nelson Dance Party Saturday night and her special dedicated program happening at High Camp, which is the Atari Conference Center on Sunday. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, Gavin. Really appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate you all, Mountain Film, and all the film, and all filmmakers who called in. So, uh, coming up next is Pow Surf Radio, and this has been Off the Record. Thanks for listening to Off the Record. Opinions expressed on this show are those of our guests. 
Join us again next week for another installment. And in the meantime, drop us a line at news at koto.org with feedback and ideas. Oh, you, you, you.